biodegradable is a great word because it sounds like this must be really natural. The catch is everything is biodegradable pretty much. So the problem is your average plastic bottle is going to take about 400 years. If you think about it that way, everything's biodegradable. Home compostable is a much better measure because that means that to be home compostable, it should break down within six months and um, not leave any microplastics in the soil. That's Katie Rath, Senior Strategist at WGSN and our resident packaging expert here. She's explaining the reality behind those terms that are used by brands around the topic of sustainability. In this episode of the Create Tomorrow podcast, we discuss a topic that's relevant to all of us as consumers and certainly relevant for the industries we serve. Fashion, food and drink, consumer tech, beauty and interiors. And that topic is sustainability and packaging. As we all read the news reports of microplastics being present in human blood and the latest UN climate report issued by the IPCC reminded us that time has nearly run out to meet the 1.5 degree warming targets of the Paris Agreement, it's clear we need to take drastic action in reducing plastic waste and our greenhouse gas emissions. So what alternatives are out there when it comes to wrapping up and protecting brands' products ready for consumers? And how much do consumers really care? I asked Katie. We're seeing not just the consumers demanding sustainable packaging, but 74% of them are actually willing to pay more for it. Um, Half of them are avoiding what was termed as harmful packaging, and they're increasingly associating plastic packaging with um, ocean pollution, almost 63% of them in the latest figures we've seen. There's certainly been quite a lot, I think, in the design industry around that and lots of projects and initiatives like Parlay for the Oceans that have sort of thrown a spotlight on this issue. And I think in a few previous episode, we talked to Eve Bihar about, about things like that. He's a keen surfer, so he's always looking to kind of recreate things out of ocean plastics. Why does plastic remain the enemy, Katie? Well, I think in terms of environmental impact, we're seeing plastic is creating um, more waste and packaging is creating more plastic waste than any other industry. Um, Something like 146 million tonnes a year, which is almost twice the next largest industry of construction. So it's creating a huge amount of, of waste and most of it is ending up in landfill and oceans, which is affecting not just animals, but also humans. And We've seen data that every human on the planet is eating the equivalent of a credit card's worth of plastic each week, which is phenomenal. And 90% of the water we drink and the food we eat contains microplastics. Not only is plastic packaging generating a lot of waste because 90% of it becomes waste after only one use, but only 14% of plastic globally is collected for recycling. Um, And that's what they normally refer to as the recycled rate. But actually, only 4% of that is turned into new plastics, according to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. So we've got a situation where you've got a huge amount of plastic waste, most of it single use, and actually only 4% of it is ever being recycled into new plastics. So that's that's the issue there. It doesn't matter how hard you work with the six different numbers in your recycling bin. There's really yeah. a limit as to, to how much that's helping. So is the feeling that sort of legislation is is one of the main solutions here? What what are we seeing in terms of how that's being tackled? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the problem is we can't really recycle our way 
out of it because even when we do recycle, it's only um, only recyclable one or maybe two cycles and then still ends up in landfill or being broken down into to microplastics that affect the environment. So we're seeing a lot of moves now um, legislatively to try and cut down on plastic packaging. So the UK has introduced a plastic tax on any packaging with less than 30% consumer um, post-consumer recycled plastic content in it. Um, the EU has put a ban on the 10 single-use plastic items most commonly found discarded um, or washed up on beaches. And again, the, the UN um, resolution on a legally binding treaty on plastic waste aimed at achieving circular economy. So that's got a long-term goal of eliminating environmental plastic waste. That's There's an agreement now for that resolution um, that should be coming in in the next couple of years. You're listening to the WGSN Create Tomorrow podcast. We're tackling packaging and how brands can try to ensure they don't contribute further to climate change by finding better alternatives to plastic. Joining Katie Rath, our packaging expert, is Claire Lancaster, Senior Strategist for WGSN Food and Drink, and she's been tracking global regulations around packaging. the food and drink perspective we're watching this uh you know really closely as well and it's not just happening um in the eu and the uk but you know we've seen places like singapore their ministry of sustainability and environment has recently introduced a mandatory packaging reporting framework um, and that requires large producers of packaged products and retailers like supermarkets to report annually the amount of packaging that they introduce into singapore as well as their plans to reduce reuse and recycle such packaging. So I think it's it's quite interesting how um, different places all around the world are reacting to this problem and, and, you know, solving it legislatively or through private industry. More broadly, we're talking about packaging, not just plastic, although that gets all the, all the limelight. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit as well about some of the better, uh, more kind of recyclable materials. Uh, there are some better solutions out there already, aren't there, Katie, that we're using. Um, glass and aluminium, for example, uh, is, is sort of better than plastic, right? In terms of the material, yes. Yeah. So if you're talking about recycled um, glass. We can break that down into colour, as it's called, and that doesn't release any new CO2 when it's melted down to be remade into to glass bottles. And also when you're talking about recycling aluminium, um, that uses 95% less energy than producing aluminium from raw materials and saves about 97% of the greenhouse gas emissions. So those are both more recyclable options. And also the recycling rates for glass and aluminium are kind of up at the 75% range. So those are being recycled much more than plastic at the moment. Yeah, I did read some amazing statistic about the amount of aluminium that's still around that when it was first produced is is quite... It's got a real long sort of shelf life, if you like. Yeah, pretty much infinitely recyclable. So if that's that's sort of recycling is not really enough, is it right? We need to look at actual production methods and energy sources too. Well, I think that's absolutely right. And the, the UN um, report that's just come out is really focusing on carbon emissions. And it's not enough then to just look at the material, because when you look at the, the material um, savings on on emissions that we just talked about with glass and aluminium it's only about 15 to 25 percent of the total emissions of the process so there's a couple of interesting um 
projects. There's something called um, Furnace for the Future by um, FEV, which looks at uh, making glass using electricity. Um, so if the electricity can be source can be decarbonized through wind, solar or nuclear power or in the future hydrogen, it would mean that that process of glass making would be effectively carbon free. And then there's NSERC, a glass manufacturing company that we're seeing um, that's collaborating with Glass Futures, which is a research and technology organization. And they're making glass from burning ultra low carbon biofuels made from organic waste. Um, so that's something that could then really start to move the needle on the, the CO2 emissions of glass um, manufacturing. And again, with aluminium, 85% of the world's aluminium comes from China at the moment, and over 80% of that is using coal-fired power um, for the production factories. So decarbonizing the power source is really a huge priority if we're going to avert this climate crisis and keep to the Paris Agreement. And you can't get around it, even plastics, same thing, the CO2 emissions from the production are 50 to 75% of the overall emissions. And you did recently, you've done a brilliant report about how this has kind of been exacerbated by the current war in Ukraine uh, in terms of supply chains and things, right? Absolutely. I think, of course, it's by far the least awful things that come out of, of that war, but it has highlighted some issues around our reliance on petrochemical-based mm. plastics, particularly mm. for European markets. So Russia supplies about 44% of Europe's naphtha, which is one of the raw ingredients for plastic production. Um, and the prices for naphtha in Europe have touched more than 100% increase year on year, and they're still hovering about 60%. Um, so yes, that's, that's definitely causing some impact. This is the WGSN Create Tomorrow podcast. Next, I wanted to ask Helen Palmer, our Head of Materials and Textiles for Fashion, what she could tell us about the fashion industry and the packaging issue there. It's really interesting doing sort of research on, on packaging for the fashion industry. There's a real issue um, around uh, seen packaging and un unseen packaging. So obviously uh, the consumers have visibility on packaging in store, such as their carrier bags and things like that. But um, there's so much going on in the scenes in terms of shipping. Um, so although consumers have become more aware of the negative environmental impact of single-use uh carrier bags, for example, and, and obviously some retail brands are, are switching from plastic to paper bags and looking for some other solutions. What the consumer doesn't see are the millions of plastic poly bags transporting their garments that go from the factory floor to the store. Um, and I read that um, every garment made uh, that's packaged in a poly bag would stack up at about 180 billion bags a year. This is called, according to the Sustainable Packaging Coalition. So that's an awful lot of poly bags that our garments are being shipped in. And they're, they're going, you know, they're being distributed from, from the factory to distribution centres and then obviously going to the store. And then that's not the only issue in a way. We've The other sort of um, quite hidden um, issue around packaging is... is uh, e-commerce because obviously with the rise of e-commerce which certainly has been fueled by the pandemic and home shopping that's seen a huge surge in plastic mailbags going direct to the consumer doors and many of those as well are not recyclable 
Um, and e-com packaging is only uh, set to rise. We're, we're seeing that uh, figures that are um, saying that e-com packaging could rise up to $21 billion uh, in 2026. So really what needs to happen is, especially the plastic packaging, it really needs to reduce its uh, carbon footprint to offset the growing demand for, for uh, e-commerce um, sales. I mean, plastic does have its benefits, you know, arguably, um, in terms of uh, as a packaging material, it's very light, durable, and it's very good at protecting items in transit. So, and, and you know, some other sort of materials don't stack up in terms of durability at the moment. So, you know, you could argue that in some cases it, it is a, a very useful material. But really, recycling it is the only way to reduce its impact. Uh, so making it onwardly recyclable. And then the other thing that I've picked up on as well is, is actually shrinking the amount of packaging. So, you know, some brands are actually already shrinking down the packaging they're using per item and also asking their suppliers directly to cut back on polybag use and other sort of um, tricky packaging, even charging for non-compliance, um, because obviously they need to rely on their supply chains to, to comply to offset their own um, polybag recycling and handling costs. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really that idea of sort of setting um, an agenda with with the whole industry really to make sure that we can reduce that that cost and and the you know carbon footprint. Yeah, I mean, I got I got something the other day. Actually, I have to confess, I bought I bought something in a sale from a West London store, and it came in a in a bag which could go straight in my food caddy, which I just loved. It was like this can go in your garden waste or your food bin. It's like why doesn't everybody do this? And I know at WGSM we the whole point is that we have a positive mindset about these things and we solve these problems. And there these are things that we're tracking, right? The bio-based solutions. But there's also biodegradable. And I wonder, Katie, some people it can get a bit confusing if you just like to tell us the difference between those two things. So we're seeing a lot of bio-based materials. So people are taking things like cornstarch and making plastics out of them. And we're seeing quite a lot of things like poly bags that Helen just mentioned being made out of those. And it sounds great, made from plants, not plastic. We, we are seeing issues with some of those plastics, though, that they're actually, you can't put it in green waste. You can't compost it. It has to be industrially composted. And there aren't really the systems in place to deal with that at the moment. And actually, even with compostable plastics, we're seeing that when they are put into garden waste, because the local authorities can't guarantee that those are compostable plastics, they're often just being burned or put into landfill fill mm. anyway. Okay. Um, biodegradable is a great word because it sounds like this must be really natural. The catch is everything is biodegradable pretty much. So the problem is your average plastic bottle is going to take about 400 years. If you think about it that way, everything's biodegradable. Home compostable is a much better measure because that means that to be home compostable, it should break down within six months and um, not leave any microplastics in the soil. So um, I'm not perhaps surprisingly, there's, there's been a lot of progress right here, Claire, in your industry that you cover food and drink. Because uh, I know you've, there's, you've done reports on kind of compostable packaging and things, but what kind of progress have you been seeing? Yeah, I think it's been interesting to kind of watch industry 
evolve and learn as these new products come out because they really are new materials in a lot of cases and then there's a lot of consumer education that goes along with it so sort of like what Katie was saying I mean for the industry it's it's sometimes confusing different the terminology and then it's even more confusing on the on the consumer perspective um but I think that you know consumer education is a key part of that and and the other part of that is better systems of sorting and collection for these materials so really like brands have an opportunity to help consumers understand the difference. Um, and, and I think what we're seeing more and more is that brands are understanding that just being honest with the consumer about their journey and the fact that they are making these sustainability efforts and it might be imperfect, but they're working towards something better um, is quite interesting. So as far as compostables, I think in food and drink, we saw a big rush towards it. Um, and then, you know, we're figuring out as they go what needs to happen. But I don't think... Um, that that we should give up on these compostables um, at all. I think they represent a great opportunity um, and there's some really amazing revolutionary new materials that are emerging now that I think are is just really exciting. Um, so there's one now, it's called Vivomir. Um, it's by a company called Shellworks and it's actually made from brewing soil and marine microbiomes and they harvest the fat that's created in that process and then that material can break down in landfill, home compost or compost in marine conditions within 12 months. So it's really the same microbiomes that it's created from and that they see it as a food source. Um, it doesn't leave any microplastics and it even improves the quality of the soil in terms of nitrogen if it's composted. And I mean, I think we are, we've talked generally across industry about consumer mindset shifting from sustainability as being something that's not bad for the environment to interest in regenerative something that can actually regenerate the environment and improve it as you use it so i think i think there's really exciting plastic alternative materials that are emerging now um, and just because it's an evolution to get there doesn't mean that we should just abandon these ideas so what is bio-based packaging it could be one of the solutions for the future here, Helen Palmer, our Head of Materials and Textiles, tells us about some innovative examples in the fashion industry. Yes, so we have seen quite a few um, leading brands trialling bioplastics for things like online mailers. Um, a few that sort of come to my attention um, sort of fairly recently was... Um, there's an Australian brand called Maggie Marilyn that's working with the Better Packaging Company and they're using bags, uh, they're called Complast bags made out of cassava root starch, which biodegrade in water and are actually home compostable, which is great. And we've also seen brands like Reformation and Lanius. Again, they, they are quite sustainably focused brands, so this definitely fits in with their whole ethos, but they're also piloting plant-based packaging. I think the, the challenge for fashion um, is that the infrastructure um, isn't really there for biodegradable plastics on a big scale for the fashion industry at present. So that poses a, an issue. But with the home composting, I think it has sort of picked up quite a lot on sort of consumer interest. But the other thing that I'm really excited by in this space is water soluble packaging, because I think, again, it, it follows another sustainable route, which is basically leaving no trace, which I, I, I love. Um, Aquapack, they've um, got a brilliant um, ocean safe leave no trace poly bag made of hydropole, which is a, a poly polymer that breaks down into ha harmless biomass in soil and the water. Um, and this has been used by um, brands such as Finisterre, which are a surf brand. And again, I, I think it's really nice that storytelling because obviously a surf brand like Finisterre 
they're very much about clean water and protecting the environment and clean water so to to be looking at water soluble packaging it just creates a really nice um, story around that so I can sort of see how you know packaging and branded products can really work together to kind of really push on sustainability and in also in many ways we're also sort of not going backwards because it's sort of like going backwards to go forwards but paper is come has come back hasn't it Katie as a kind of innovative solutions made of paper and pulp across many industries yes absolutely I mean we're seeing Diageo have created the world's first 100% plastic free bottle with Pulpex and they're actually collaborating across a bunch of different categories with the likes of Pepsi, Unilever, GSK, um, even Castrol and Estee Lauder um, to roll this bottle out across their portfolios. And that bottle is said to be um, have a 90% lower carbon footprint than glass and 30% lower than PET um, and can also be recycled in standard plastic, um, sorry, paper waste streams. So that's quite an, an exciting alternative. And we're seeing a bunch of these kind of paper and pulp things emerging. And very much, as you say, we're going back to Morrison's of launched toilet paper and kitchen roll in the UK in paper paper wrap, which, of course, is exactly how they used to come until we switched to, to plastic. Yeah. And again, another fashion example, we're seeing H&M discontinuing plastic packaging completely. Um, it's got rid of its um, plastic carrier bags um, for online orders in countries like the UK, India and China. And it's pledging for all online orders globally to be packed in paper mm. by the end of the year. So I think we're definitely seeing paper kind of re-emerging as a good sustainable alternative. This is the Create Tomorrow podcast with WGSN. Next, I asked my colleagues about the rising cost of living and how that might affect sustainable packaging solutions. Will we see more refillable solutions, for example? Claire Lancaster certainly thinks so. We've seen a lot of consumer interest in refillables. We've actually recently done a report about um, cost of living, and I think this also presents a really uh, interesting solution for consumers here who are, you know, when you're buying in bulk, when you're looking at basics, and you can go into the store and you can refill it, you know, it meets a lot of consumer needs. Um, so we've seen grocers in the UK doing that. Um, it, but I, I think it is a solution of global interest. Uh, there's a startup in India called Refillable that's helping consumers pay for the product instead of the packaging. So they're based in Mumbai and they run a portable convenience store, which is sort of inspired by the old school milkman model um, for household cleaning products. Uh, we've also seen the Australian supermarket chain Coles. They've started a concept store um, in Melbourne where shoppers trial reusable containers and paper punnets. Um, there's a coffee cup recycling station and there's even on-demand fruit chopping and juicing. Um, and these are trials and learnings that they intend to later transplant into um, their major stores. And, and I think that all over the world, we've seen a lot of consumer interest and engagement with these strategies. And yeah, like I say, I think as uh, cost of living continues to bite, I think there'll be a lot of interest from both retailers and consumers. I just want to end, um, if, if I was going to ask you all if there's a packaging solution that you spied out there that you are really impressed by. Um, Katie, that might have been yours already, I don't know. But um, Helen, have you got one that you've spied that you think's very impressive? impressive. 
Yes, I mean, apart from a lot of the things we talked about already, um, I was quite impressed. Uh, I read recently about a Norwegian company called uh, Pakorang, and it specialises in reusable packaging that uh, claims to be uh, able to be recirculated in the circular economy up to 500 times, which is pretty awesome if that <laughs> if that proves to be the case. But it makes use of uh, reusable bags, um, made out of recycled bottles and offcuts from clothing factories. So it's making good use of uh, drinks, bottles, and also uh, the fashion industry, which I think is is a really good thing. And their bags are also padded with an inside layer that that really helps to protect the contents of, of the package, which is great. So it's functional and very eco-friendly. So I'm interested to see how this brand sort of pans out and um, look, look forward to reading more about it. That's interesting because there is a, a very important thing that we've we've been tracking anyway at WGSN, which is how like the uh, waste from food can then be used in a beauty product. So it's quite interesting that that packaging is cross industry uh, and really kind of pulling together, uh, which is, yeah, clever strategy. Claire, is there anything you haven't mentioned so far that you are excited by that you've seen? Yeah, so there's there's two for food and drink that really come to mind. And one is a group of researchers in Singapore, and they've developed an alternative um, smart packaging material from um, biodegradable corn protein and starch and other naturally derived polymers. Um, but what's interesting to me about it is that they're nature-inspired antimicrobials. Um, so these products keep harmful bacteria and spoilage of microorganisms off of food. Um, they also keep plastic pollution off of the environment, which I think is just, you know, for our industry, an incredibly interesting um, angle because the packaging, if it's made from natural materials, still has to be food safe. And this sort of goes one step beyond that to actually um, to preserve food. Um, and the other one is an, a U.S. startup called Sway, and they're making clear, flexible packaging. Um, they're, ma- they're making plastics from algae. Um, and that, like we were talking about regenerative, has the potential not just to reduce harm, um, but see these seaweed forests that they use to make it, they sequester 20 times the amount of carbon of a land forest and they grow 60 times as fast. So it's just, you know, an amazing opportunity when we're talking about scale. Algae, it's like mycelium, they're sort of these amazing materials, aren't they, that just keep on giving. <laughs> Um, Katie, is there anything you haven't mentioned that you would like to end on a high? Yeah, I'll just riff off Claire's. There's also um, a company called Nopla, and they were kind of became famous for designing um, non-plastic sachets for like ketchup and, and mayonnaise, also made from seaweed. And they've um, just partnered with Just Eat um, to create a... Um, a coating for the paper boxes, takeaway boxes, food boxes, which you'd think, oh, this is recyclable, but actually most of them have a plastic coating on there to repel grease and make sure that it's not soggy when it arrives to your door, which means that they actually can't be, um, they can't be composted and they can't be um, recycled. So they've created an algae-based coating for those, which is quite huge. I think there's something like 2.5 billion takeaway food containers used in the EU alone every year so it's quite a big deal if we can start to to recycle those thanks so much for my colleagues helen katie and claire for joining us for this episode 
If you're a WGSN subscriber, you can find many reports covering packaging solutions across all of our products. If you want to find out how to subscribe, head over to WGSN.com to discover how you can get access to our service. We're constantly publishing new content focusing on how we can design a brighter and better future for our industries. You can subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms. And if you like what you've heard, why not give us a rating and review? And that just leaves me to thank our producer, Roland Bodenham. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. <laughs>